if you have any questions or comments and you'd like them to be on the show, feel free to leave me a voice message. The link for that should be in the show notes. If you want to leave me a message, you can find me on Instagram at Adam underscore Elisha, on Twitter at Mathematically Speaking, and there's now a Facebook group called Mathematically Speaking where we're going to be having discussions after every show, and I'll be posting episodes there about a day early. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. back to Mathematically Speaking. I'm your host, Adam Allred, and we're going to continue the conversation that we started last time on Lewis F. Richardson's mathematical theory of war and his scientific approach to conflict theory. So, so we're going to start a little backwards today. We're going to step outside the theory first, and then we'll return to it. Because uh, I think having an understanding of a correlation and a causation is going to be super important to understanding uh, the rest of the theory that we're going to be discussing. So a causation is anything that indicates that one event is the direct result of the occurrence of another event. So simply put, it's cause and effect. If I stub my toe, I will feel pain. Me stubbing my toe causes the effect of pain. A cue ball hits, uh, if you're playing pool, and you break it, cue balls hit, each one hitting the other causes the cause that one to move. And a correlation is a, is a statistical measure, which is a, a number between negative one and positive one, that describes the size and direction of a relationship between two or more variables. So it, essentially, it's a number that uh, statisticians give to a relationship between uh, two or more things. There are positive correlations, and those are given the numbers between uh, greater than zero up to one, and then there are negative correlations, which are given the numbers negative one up to zero. And a zero correlation, like it would just be given zero. It's just things that aren't related at all. Um, knowing the difference between these and a healthy amount of skepticism can lead or can help anyone under, uh, have a better understanding of some bold claims that are made. Um, if you want to have a laugh at some of these ridiculous uh, correlations, if you Google Nick Cage correlation, the website will pop up and it's just a big list of things that aren't related at all, but they have a very strong correlation. Um, the, Nick, the Nick Cage one is the number of people who drowned by falling into a pool correlates with films Nick Cage has appeared in. Um, there is a per capita of cheese consumption that correlates with the number of people who die by becoming tangling in their bed sheets. There is a correlation between the total revenue generated by arcades and computer science doctorates awarded in the U S. Um, one of my favorites is per capita consumption of mozzarella cheese specifically correlated with civil engineering doctorates awarded and one more is 
math doctorates of water correlates with the uranium stored at U.S. nuclear power plants. Um, that one, I can promise you, is not a causation. I will not get my doctorate in math because the U.S. has nuclear power, has uranium stored at the nuclear power plants. So having, we'll we'll keep those uh, definitions in mind because everything that Richardson talks about are correlations. They are very strong correlations, but he doesn't. Uh, he tries to stay away from direct causations. So uh, Richardson's approach was. Uh, is similar to a way that doctors try to um, identify diseases. Oftentimes, if you can find out what cures the disease, it'll you can backtrack to what caused the disease. So that's how he treats that's how he treats his uh, theory of war. So he has uh, something thing called pacifiers, which are just things that pacify war, things that indicate that the quarrel will either not occur at all or it will eventually have an end. And these aren't, there's about eight of them. These aren't his, he did not come up with them. These are things that are typically thought to uh, pacify war. And he looks at the data and see if there's a correlation or not. So the first one is sports. Um, It usually works as like a distraction. If you can take war out of the media, then you can, people stop thinking about it. And so eventually the war, uh, the mood of war kind of subsides. And this one I'm going to come back to at the end, because uh, that, that idea of war being a mood is something that Richardson also explored. Another one is deflecting hate outwards. Um, this one, there's no data to support that it works. Um, however, it's used a lot. This is um, any form of... Uh, Mass genocide really is an example of this um, deflecting hate inward. This was suggested by Carl Jung, who was a psychologist around the same time that Richardson was uh, practicing mathematics. And it was tested to show actual more aggression. So it isn't quarrel war. It actually potentially stimulates it. Armed strength is the fourth one. And this is the quote-unquote official U.S. position. There's no clear correlation that this works at all. Um, but it's the idea that if, if we appear to have a stronger military than other, uh, countries and people who might want to do us harm won't even try because it appears that we can't be defeated. There's no correlation that this works though. Uh, collective help, which is the idea that if like the many versus one, if everyone gangs up on the one aggressor, then war will eventually have an end. But very rarely is war a one versus one thing. It's usually allies versus allies. Uh, Number six, which has the strongest correlation of 0.77. So this has a positive correlation because it's a positive number. And the closer it is to one, the stronger the correlation. And if you get really close to one, like 0.9, then you can almost say it's a causation. So the sixth one is fewer frontiers. So the more uncharted land in a country, the more external wars it has. Intermarriage, um, there's no real data on it because it's not really easy thing to study. Um, And part of doing a scientific study, you need a control group. It's difficult to have a control group when you're trying to test whether 
intermarriage between two countries will will <laughs> calm down a war. The eighth one is having a common language and a common religion. This one's kind of unclear. It's worked in some countries, like it worked in China. Um, all the city-states that made up the continent of China, um, once they got put under the common religion and a common language, it kind of, everything seemed to settle down and there wasn't any more internal struggle. Um, but in Latin America, there's a common language, um, pretty much, and a common religion, pretty much. Um, but it's not a united Latin America. There's there's the several countries within it. And there's some indication that it's more of an anti-pacifier. It can sometimes create conflict as opposed to calm it down. So these are the eight pacifiers that Richardson looked at to see which ones would calm down or pacify war. And he thought that the, that the number, the two most effective ones are international trade and loyalty to a common government. And after he was able to figure out that these, once he saw that the strongest correlations were these two things, international trade and having a common government, he then went backwards to, to see what caused war or what what had the strongest correlation with starting a war. And a common view at the time was um, armament. So is being prepared for war a cause of war? There's one perspective is that it is. If you are constantly uh, ready to go to war, other countries will see this as a preemptive um, a, as a, as a preemptive measure because they're thinking that they are going to attack you. So then I will also prepare for war. And then the other country sees me preparing and it's this back and forth and eventually war breaks out. The other perspective on this is that armament is just a symptom and its cause is grief and passions or revenge and, or uh, justice. If you think you are avenging uh, your fallen uh, countrymen or countrywoman, then, um, this will then cause you to prepare for war. Uh, these the, Richardson wasn't able to uh, detect any clear correlations between either of those two, and the uh, the math involved is much too complicated to do over a audio media uh, medium. So, if you want to know more, I can provide a link on. Uh, the medium article that I will write up on this. If you want to read the, in all of, all of the mathematics involved. Um, if not, we can just leave it there. Now, one thing that Richardson wanted to, Richardson noticed is that, um, mass behavior, the behavior of groups of people doesn't behave like natural laws of conservation. Um, in physics, there's a, or in almost any science, in every science, there are laws of conservation, so one example is the conservation of mass. If I were to lose mass, it is not lost. It, if it's a bad example. If I have two balls of Play-Doh, I take some Play-Doh off one and put it on the other, that one has lost mass, and the other one has gained mass. But the mass that was lost and gained, is, it, isn't, it doesn't disappear, it just got absorbed into the other one. It's not gone, because it's been conserved. Mass cannot be uh, created nor destroyed. It just kind of transferred. Or if I spread a rumor about someone 
that rumor doesn't leave me when I tell it to someone else. It I don't forget that I had this opinion of some of a of a person, or if I catch a cold and I give it to someone else, I don't feel better when they catch it. Um, people, there's a tendency to think that way because you start feeling better. It's just because you were getting better, you would have gotten better if they didn't catch it. There's no cause and effect there. Again, just a correlation. So is it potent, is it possible that war is like a mood or is war kind of like a rumor? If just because I, I have this feeling and this other, and I give this other person this feeling, it doesn't, it can still stay with me. So he looked at the data between the Britain and Germany about how much of war talk there was in those countries before, during, and after World War One, and in the UK before World War One, there was very little war talk. It was um, war talk about Germany. They had some issues with uh, Ireland at the time, but there was very little talk about going to war with Germany. Uh, Germany during there was a dramatic increase, um, starting when uh, the Duke of Prussia, Austria, St. Ferdinand of Austria, I believe, sorry, that is the Archduke Ferdinand of Austria, um, after his death, which is what uh, start, started World War I, it increases dramatically after that, and then after the war, there's a lot, uh, there's a much, there's a decreased amount of war talk. Um, and then in Germany, there's a, there's, there's not a lot of war talk before the war, but the talk that is there is a praise of war as an institution. It's a, almost like a worship of war. And then during World War, during World War One, it increases, uh, almost to the same, the same amount of war talk as in the UK. And then afterwards, the war talk has decreased, but there is resentment in the war talk that is still there. And this lingering resentment um, is what eventually uh, causes the attitudes that created World War II. And so there's a very strong correlation between um, war being more of a mood and the amount of war talk in media can affect the willingness for the people to allow their country to go to war. And however, it's not just a for war or against war, Richardson created a five-mood model of a country's willingness to go to war, and it was a, a conscious layered on top of a subconscious model. Um, you can feel friendly consciously, but in your, in your subconscious, you can have this hostility brewing. Um, I'm not going to go in too much detail into that, just because it's not, it, it would not be effective in an audio medium. So, to wrap up this little two-episode mini-series, the, there is a philosophical undertone to Richardson's work, and it is that human behavior can be deterministically or mathematically or scientifically modeled. And there is a benefit to having this perspective, because a mathematical model you can have several equations describing several different parts of an issue. 
So what are the causes of war is a question that does not have a a black and white answer. It's not like it's it's not a yes or no thing. It is not a one answer fits all uh, question. There are many, many, many possible uh, correlations with this cor- uh, with war. There's a lot of causations. There's lots of things that happen, and it's a historical thing. It could be something that happened over decades, leading, creating kind of like a, a like a shaken up soda can effect, where all this pressure kind of bundles up and then and it explodes, and this country goes to war with another country. There's lots of things going on. And the mathematical model is able to, to model, a little redundant there, is able to model um, all those different facets and features. And having this perspective allows us to, again, be as objective as possible in attacking these very emotional, very uh, intense subjects, such as violence and war and, and such and such. So, um, hopefully you can... Keep this in mind, have a better understanding of correlations and causations, and a little healthy skepticism when people make these large claims, and have a, an appreciation for a um, less recognized mathematician and his mathematical theory of war. Hey guys, thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to support it, you can visit anchor.fm slash mathematically speaking and hit the support this podcast tab. If you want to leave me a comment or feedback of any kind, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Adam underscore Elisha. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the show.